appendix part eighteen of the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine appendix criticism of the kantian philosophy part eighteen if we examine the real meaning of kant's critical solution of the cosmological problem which now follows we find that it is not what he gives it out to be the solution of the problem by the disclosure that both sides starting from false assumptions are wrong in the first and second conflicts and that in the third and fourth both are right it is really the confirmation of the antitheses by the explanation of their assertions first kant asserts in this solution obviously wrongly that both sides started from the assumption as their first principle that with the conditioned the completed thus rounded off series of its conditions is given only the thesis laid down this proposition kant's principle of pure reason as the ground of its assertions the antithesis on the other hand expressly denied it throughout and asserted the contrary further kant charges both sides with this assumption that the world exists in itself that is independently of being known and of the forms of this knowledge but this assumption also is only made by the thesis indeed it is so far from forming the ground of the assertions of the antithesis that it is absolutely inconsistent with them for that it should all be given is absolutely contradictory of the conception of an infinite series it is therefore essential to it that it should always exist only with reference to the process of going through it and not independently of this on the other hand in the assumption of definite limits also lies that of a whole which exists absolutely and independently of the process of completely measuring it thus it is only the thesis that makes the false assumption of a self-existent universe that is a universe given prior to all knowledge and to which knowledge came as to something external to itself the antithesis from the outset combats this assumption absolutely for the infinity of the series which it asserts merely under the guidance of the principle of sufficient reason can only exist if the regressus is fully carried out but not independently of it as the object in general presupposes the subject so also the object which is determined as an endless chain of conditions necessarily presupposes in the subject the kind of knowledge corresponding to this that is the constant following of the links of that chain but this is just what kant gives as the solution of the problem and so often repeats the infinity of the world is only through the regressus not before it this his solution of the conflict is thus really only the decision in favour of the antithesis in the assertion of which this truth already lies while it is altogether inconsistent with the assertions of the thesis if the antithesis had asserted that the world consisted of infinite series of reasons and consequence and yet existed independently of the idea and its regressive series thus in itself and therefore constituted a given whole it would have contradicted not only the thesis but also itself for an infinite can never be given as a whole nor an endless series exist except as an endless progress 
nor can what is boundless constitute a whole thus this assumption of which kant asserts that it led both sides into error belongs only to the thesis it is already a doctrine of aristotle's that an infinity can never be actu that is actual and given but only potentia uc estin energeia enai to aperon alla dunaton to intellexia an aperon infinitum non potest esse actu sed impossibile actu esse infinitum metaphysics kappa ten further cat energeian men gar uden estin aperon duname de epi tin dia iresin nihil enim actu infinitum est sed potentia tantum nempe divisione ipsa de generatione et corruptione one three he develops this fully in the physics three five and six where to a certain extent he gives the perfectly correct solution of the whole of the antinomies he expounds the antinomies in his short way and then says a mediator ditu is required upon which he gives the solution that the infinite both of the world in space and in time and in division is never before the regressus or progressus but in it this truth lies then in the rightly apprehended conception of the infinite thus one misunderstands himself if he imagines that he can think the infinite of whatever kind it may be as something objectively present and complete and independent of the regressus indeed if reversing the procedure we take as the starting point what kant gives as the solution of the conflict the assertion of the antithesis follows exactly from it thus if the world is not an unconditioned whole and does not exist absolutely but only in the idea and if its series of reasons and consequents do not exist before the regressus of the ideas of them but only through this regressus then the world cannot contain determined and finite series because their determination and limitation would necessarily be independent of the idea which would then only come afterwards but all its series must be infinite that is inexhaustible by any idea on page five o six five thirty four kant tries to prove from the falseness of both sides the transcendental ideality of the phenomenon and begins if the world is a whole existing by itself it is either finite or infinite but this is false a whole existing of itself cannot possibly be infinite that ideality may rather be concluded from the infinity of the series in the world in the following manner if the series of reasons and consequence in the world are absolutely without end the world cannot be a given whole independent of the idea for such a world always presupposes definite limits just as on the contrary infinite series presuppose an infinite regressus therefore the presupposed infinity of the series must be determined through the form of reason and consequent and this again through the form of knowledge of the subject thus the world as it is known must exist only in the idea of the subject now whether kant himself was aware or not that his critical solution of the problem is really a decision in favour of the antithesis i am unable to decide 
for it depends upon whether what schilling has somewhere very happily called kant's system of accommodation extended so far or whether kant's mind was here already involved in an unconscious accommodation to the influence of his time and surroundings the solution of the third antinomy the subject of which was the idea of freedom deserves a special consideration because it is for us very well worth notice that it is just here in connection with the idea of freedom that kant is obliged to speak more fully of the thing in itself which was hitherto only seen in the background this is very explicable to us since we have recognized the thing in itself as the will speaking generally this is the point at which the kantian philosophy leads to mine or at which mine springs out of his as its parent stem one will be convinced of this if one reads with attention pages five thirty six and five thirty seven v five sixty four and five sixty five of the critique of pure reason and further compares these passages with the introduction to the critique of judgment pages eighteen and nineteen of the third edition or page thirteen of rosenkrantz's edition where indeed it is said the conception of freedom can in its object that is then the will present to the mind a thing in itself but not in perception the conception of nature on the other hand can present its object to the mind in perception but not as a thing in itself but specially let any one read concerning the solution of the antinomies the fifty-third paragraph of the prolegomena and then honestly answer the question whether all that is said there does not sound like a riddle to which my doctrine is the answer kant never completed his thought i have merely carried out his work accordingly what kant says only of the human phenomenon i have extended to all phenomena in general as differing from the human phenomenon only in degree that their true being is something absolutely free that is a will it appears from my work how fruitful this insight is in connection with kant's doctrine of the ideality of space time and causality kant has nowhere made the thing in itself the subject of a special exposition or distinct deduction but whenever he wants it he introduces it at once by means of the conclusion that the phenomenon thus the visible world must have a reason an intelligible cause which is not a phenomenon and therefore belongs to no possible experience he does this after having assiduously insisted that the categories and thus causality also had a use which was absolutely confined to possible experience that they were merely forms of the understanding which served to spell out the phenomena of the world of sense beyond which on the other hand they had no significance etc etc therefore he denies in the most uncompromising manner their application to things beyond experience and rightly explains and at once rejects all earlier dogmatism as based upon the neglect of this law the incredible inconsistency which kant here fell into was soon noticed and used by his first opponents to make attacks on his philosophy to which it could offer no resistance for certainly we apply the law of causality entirely a priori and before all experience to the changes felt in our organs of sense but on this very account this law is just as much of subjective origin as these sensations themselves and thus does not lead to a thing in itself the truth is that upon the path of the idea one can never get beyond the idea 
it is a rounded off whole and has in its own resources no clue leading to the nature of the thing in itself which is toto genere different from it if we were merely perceiving beings the way to the thing in itself would be absolutely cut off from us only the other side of our own being can disclose to us the other side of the inner being of things this path i have followed but kant's inference to the thing in itself contrary as it is to his own teaching obtains some excuse from the following circumstance he does not say as truth required simply and absolutely that the object is conditioned by the subject and conversely but only that the manner of the appearance of the object is conditioned by the forms of knowledge of the subject which therefore also come a priori to consciousness but that now which in opposition to this is only known a posteriori is for him the immediate effect of the thing in itself which becomes phenomenon only in its passage through these forms which are given a priori from this point of view it is to some extent explicable how it could escape him that objectivity in general belongs to the form of the phenomenon and is just as much conditioned by subjectivity in general as the mode of appearing of the object is conditioned by the forms of knowledge of the subject that thus if a thing in itself must be assumed it absolutely cannot be an object which however he always assumes it to be but such a thing in itself must necessarily lie in a sphere toto genere different from the idea from knowing and being known and therefore could least of all be arrived at through the laws of the combination of objects among themselves with the proof of the thing in itself it has happened to kant precisely as with that of the a priori nature of the law of causality both doctrines are true but their proof is false they thus belong to the class of true conclusions from false premises i have retained them both but have proved them in an entirely different way and with certainty the thing in itself i have neither introduced surreptitiously nor inferred according to laws which exclude it because they really belong to its phenomenal appearance nor in general have i arrived at by roundabout ways on the contrary i have shown it directly there where it lies immediately in the will which reveals itself to every one directly as the in itself of his own phenomenal being and it is also this immediate knowledge of his own will out of which in human consciousness the conception of freedom springs for certainly the will as world creating as thing in itself is free from the principle of sufficient reason and therewith from all necessity thus is completely independent free and indeed almighty yet in truth this only holds good of the will in itself not of its manifestations the individuals who just through the will itself are unalterably determined as its manifestations in time but in the ordinary consciousness unenlightened by philosophy the will is at once confused with its manifestation and what belongs only to the former is attributed to the latter whence arises the illusion of the unconditioned freedom of the individual therefore spinoza says rightly that if the projected stone had consciousness it would believe that it flew of its own free will for certainly the in itself of the stone also is the will which alone is free but as in all its manifestations here also where it appears as a stone it is already fully determined but of all this enough has already been said in the text of this work 
End of Appendix Part 18 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine